Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and smell of fresh manna. Today, you will be listening to Jermaine Gale, pastor of the East Lansing University and Lansing Spanish Seventh-day Adventist Churches. And now, here's Pastor Jermaine. Let us pray together. Father, it is a unique privilege every time we get to stand before you. It is a unique privilege every single time we get to talk to you. And more so when we get to talk about you. We thank you for being such a faithful and amazing God. And where would we be without you? Father, we don't want to leave your side. We want to abide with you. as You've encouraged us to do in John 15. And today, Father, as we pray this prayer of abiding in you, we pray that your words may abide in us. So, Lord, speak to us is our prayer. We pray in a very special way that you be with Micah and Ty and be with all of our young people in our church. And, Father, be with all of us as we now contemplate Scripture. We pray that when we come here, that we may realize, like Moses did, that we are standing on holy ground. And dear Father, we pray that you may encourage us to take off our shoes as we now listen to you speak. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of our message is Generational Games, taken from our text, which let us read Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, that's where we are, and we're reading verse 31 and 32. I must say, however, that it is very hard to preach a sermon after a powerful baptism like that, because that in itself was a sermon, and so I'm going to do my best. Luke chapter 7, verse 31, the Bible says, And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. Every once in a while, an event comes along that shakes or shifts a generation, where the peaceful floor of our existence is interrupted by some dramatic change that demands that we either move along or resist, changes that require a new way of living, demanding that we adjust to new realities. Take, for example, the question that comes to us every now and then. 
Do you remember where you were on September 11? Do you remember what you were doing when the Twin Towers fell? That was 20 years ago. Come to think of it, I was only 12 at the time. But I was transfixed to a colored TV, looking at evil on a massive scale. Do you remember how you were shaken to the core on September 11, 2001? There were newborns in hospital wards, children in daycare facilities, who now had to grow up in the shadow of terrorism. Some children, mind you, in their crucial stage of development, asking questions too big for them to ponder. September 11 shook a generation. Some even from this early years of processing this sad and great evil, determined to become soldiers, to fight, to fight this issue of terrorism, the evil of terrorism. I read an article recently that suggests that these young people stayed true to their commitment. They promised to serve in the military, and when they grew up, which today, in their 20s, have enlisted in the army, they kept true on their promise. In an article published in the Wall Street Journal, author Garrett M. Graff stated that the 9-11 generation numbering a quarter of the U.S. population, has never known the peace and security and swagger that pervaded America in the 1990s. Peace was gone, it seems. All that was on our minds and on our hearts was war. When Steve Jobs, another transition that took place in a generation, was when Steve Jobs walked on the stage at the Macworld Conference in San Francisco, an entire generation was gazing, watching, waiting in the wings for something to be launched, something new. Jobs stated, every once in a while, a revolutionary product comes along that changes everything. That was the birth of the iPhone. Do you remember what phone you had before the iPhone? I had a Nokia 3310, I think. Do you remember how sticky the buttons were as you tried to make a call? And how difficult it was to try to insert a contact as you tried to get through your letters on your keyboard? The iPhone shifted and changed a generation. It changed the world. When the iPhone was first launched, there were lines at the Apple store, long lines, people wanting to get the phone, staying overnight in tents to pay $4.99 for a smartphone. My family thought that was a waste of money. But everyone has an iPhone. At least everyone, I think, has an iPhone. There's still the great debate between iPhones and Android. And we won't engage in that today. But friends, the iPhone, you must imagine, has changed a generation. I read in an article that when the founder of BlackBerry heard that the iPhone was to be launched, he said, we're good. There's nothing to worry about. And the iPhone has since replaced BlackBerry. 
How do you describe this generation? And by the way, that's not to mention Facebook, which was launched in 2004, and, but three years earlier, and then the recession that happened in 2007, um, December of that year. We had many things that happened that shifted our generations. We haven't really thought about it this way, but I want to pose it to you today. How do you describe this generation? What is it like? If you take Jean M. Twinge's definition in her book called iGen, and the title is a mouthful, I'll try to repeat it to you. iGen, why today's super connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood. And what that means to the rest of us. Her approach to describing this generation would go along the lines of this. This generation is the iGen, which means I has different meanings to it. The first one is internet. This is the internet generation, a generation that has no clue what life was like before the internet. I must say, however, praise God for the internet. Amen? Do you disagree with me? You don't, probably. In fact, today we're using the internet. Some who are watching our services online, watching via the internet. There are many things that the internet can be used for, for good. But then there are many things the internet can be used for, for evil. So the I generation, the I represents internet. The I, according to Twenge, is, also means individualism, a culture that is individualistic, a generation that is then characterized by other authors as the me generation. Individuals, we think no longer collectively per se, but we think according to the dictates of our own minds. The I generation also represents income, a generation in which the middle class is quickly disappearing. I don't know if you've noticed that, but there is a dramatic shift in our culture. Most are skipping out on the corporate job market to start their own little thing. And regardless of whether they struggle or not, entrepreneurship, and I use my Jamaican accent because sometimes I struggle with some words, is the thing of the day. The I also means inequality. A generation that really focuses and hones in on inequality. Fairness is important. All must be treated as equal. To summarize, I'll use the author's remarks by quoting, they are obsessed with safety and fearful of their economic futures. No patience for inequality based on gender, race, or sexual orientation, yet they are at the forefront of the worst mental crisis in decades. And so depression is much higher in our generation. But really, we should say this too, that we've been a generation of technology and tragedy. We've seen many things happen in our generation. I must say that of recent, I've tasked myself with trying to understand what is happening. What is happening to us? What is happening in our church? What is happening in our world? Do you realize that the world is getting more and more volatile? 
Things are changing. There's a shift. We are more angry, it seems. Unless I'm off base. But it seems we're less happy. We easily get upset these days. And even if the other person doesn't know that we're mad at them, it's okay. We're still mad in our own little rooms, contemplating life and what we're going to do with ourselves because we're just so upset because someone didn't say hello. And so we have many problems. The, the author went on, we live in a world where I Jenners are growing up more slowly. 18-year-olds are now acting like 15-year-olds used to. 13-year-olds act like 10-year-olds used to. I don't always recommend books, but if you want some things to think about, it's a good read. I must say that, as I mentioned before, that I've been kind of just looking, observing, studying, trying to understand what's going on. And as leaders, we should. We should meditate on the current issues, and we should contemplate the current problems, and we should try to develop some solutions. But I tell you, my conclusion is this, that if Jesus does not do something, we are hopeless. And so as a result of looking at generations, I was driven to my knees. And I think more than anything else, it is up to us to be pressing the throne room of heaven for God to save our generation. If there's ever a time for faith to be a reality in our lives, it is in this generation. If there's ever a time for authentic faith, it is now. If there's ever a time for us to ask the important questions, it is now. If there's ever a time to deal with doubts, it is now. In this generation. So in my research, I wanted to understand whether God had thoughts regarding generations. Apparently, Jesus does. There are many who took this idea on. They try to describe millennials, and I am a millennial. There are others who describe Generation X, and there are others who describe the baby boomers. And I was reading recently an article that said, actually it talked about the first, I think it was published, it might have been in 2012, that talked about the first baby boomer filing for Social Security. We've always been talking about generations, it seems. But Jesus, over 2,000 years ago, puts before us a short parable that talks about generations. He was trying to describe the generation that he was in. And so Jesus, contemplating the issues, said, to what, verse 31, Luke chapter 7, to what then shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? We say millennials. And by the way, I might say some things here that I don't know if you agree or not, but I'm just basically telling you what's out there these days. They say millennials are lazy. If we're going to work, we need a beanbag in a little corner. We need, to be, we need to relax. Everything needs to be perfect. There are others who say, iGens, they're kind of like the ones who, you know, they would much prefer to go out with the family to be on their cell phone while being in that setting rather than talking with their families. They say, baby boomers are the ones who try to give their children everything they didn't have. So everyone tries to describe generations. I don't know if I agree that 
millennials are lazy, probably because I'm a millennial. <laughs> and I feel this thing in me to, you know, I guess it's self-defense, you know. I want to defend my millennialism. But friends, we need to be different than the general culture tries to describe us. See, Christianity is countercultural in its nature. We ought not to go with the grain. We need to go against the grain. And so we must consider the words of Paul, let every man work with his own hands. But then the Apostle Paul encourages us to share our resources after he says work with your own hands. The world wants us to be more and more selfish, but God wants us to be more and more kind and selfless. Can someone say amen? So Jesus, what is this generation like? By the way, I must say that this text gives great hope. For as much as I may consider the future of this generation and as much as I consider the future of our church and as much as we worry about what might happen, this gives us hope because it tells us that God is thinking about generations. Jesus is trying to describe what is going on in the world. So it then behooves us to pay attention to what he has to say. What is this generation like? Jesus went on to say, they're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not weep. What does this short parable mean? By the way, I must say that this was sandwiched between two great thoughts that Jesus was presenting before his hearers. The first was to consider the ministry of John the Baptist. Jesus had started with three questions. Actually, one question that was repeated three times. Verse 24, when the messengers of John had departed, the Bible tells us he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. Jesus is challenging the generation, saying, why did you make the pilgrimage going to see John? What was your purpose? What was your reason? Think, in other words. Then, he repeats verse 26. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Jesus is saying that the ministry of John, as crazy as it sounds, as ugly as it looks, as radical as it seems, it is God's will. And no matter what your conclusions are, God is doing something new in this generation. What is your assessment of John, Jesus would then pick up this refrain, going back in verse 33 of Luke chapter 7, describing their conclusion after they saw John. These guys went out all the way to the Jordan River, which had its reeds sticking out on the banks of that river. These tall plants were blowing in the wind, but they didn't go to see the reeds. Jesus was saying, what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see someone dressed in really nice clothes? Well, John was not dressed in really nice clothes. From what I read in Scripture, John was dressed in camel's hair. Did you go out to examine John's diet? Well, he didn't really eat anything special. Locust and honey. 
But why did you go? Then, verse 33, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say the conclusion of the generation is that he has a demon. The issue with the generation is God was doing something that they did not expect, and they tried to describe it. And their description was so off base that they looked at the work of God, the ministry of John, the one who was the forerunner of Jesus, and all they could say about him was he has a demon. He's a madman. Can you imagine the news report in those days? Oh, there's a religious extremist by the Jordan River. He is preaching the baptism of repentance. I dare you go. And then Jesus says, well, this is what your conclusion is. And now Jesus then turns to himself. When you see the Son of Man, what do you see? Verse 34, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Can you imagine looking at Jesus and that's your only conclusion of him? Talking with him face to face and your only conclusion as a generation is that he is nothing more than a glutton, a wine-bibber. Do you see that wisdom is not found in our generation? We are not wise people. Let me say that again, because that might step on yours and my ego. We are not wise people when it comes to describing what God is doing. We may try to think of ways to make sense of what God is doing in the world, and we say, well, this is the best way to describe it. You know what? What God is doing through John is, ah, you know, he's kind of odd. And Jesus, he's kind of loose. He just hangs around the tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus is saying, this is how you describe generation. They're like children playing in the marketplace. Saying one to the other, we played the flute and you did not dance. We mourned and you did not weep. What Jesus is ultimately saying is that these people wanted to play the music. They wanted to be in control of all that God was doing. And God would not have it. And so, in a generation like this, God was breaking in, it seems. Overthrowing expectations and ruining previous plans. And they would not have it. So they tried to dismiss the work of God. And so they come up with extreme conclusions. He has a demon. John does. He's a madman. And Jesus is just too free. We played the flute for you, is the conclusion of this generation. In other words, and it's interesting that they're in the marketplace. In this public sphere, they're not afraid to expose themselves to whoever was there to look. The marketplace is a very public place. And notice what they're doing. They're comfortable. They're sitting in the marketplace. I want to tell you today that there is a marketplace for this generation the online marketplace. And we are not afraid to expose ourselves to the world, it seems. The more vulnerable you are, it seems, the more viral you go. 
And it's interesting that they're in this marketplace calling to one another. And I imagine the marketplace is a noisy place. People are shouting. If you've ever been to Jamaica and been in one of the markets, you know what I'm talking about. If you've any, been to any other country or, well, I'll just, it's loud. I'll try to give you a picture of it in my Jamaican accent. Someone might be walking with his cart in the marketplace. He might have some rags and some handkerchiefs and maybe some backpacks. In other words, he's going through, you know, a backpack, you know, rag. Anybody? You want to buy something? Anybody? Just going through and, you know. Did you understand what I said? Okay, everyone. Good. In the marketplace, it's pretty loud. But notice that they're sitting there. They're comfortable in this public space. And I tell you that today, I believe this is really true in describing our generation. We are exposed online more than ever before. And I come to this conclusion that someone else came to. I can't remember who it is, otherwise I would give credit. But the conclusion is, today we live in a world where the only private place is actually the halls of your mind. The moment you say something, it's somewhere. We have devices in our homes that listen to us. And then, everything we say is, you know, like, just imagine, just imagine. This is the generation we live in, you know. You're studying scripture, and something powerful comes to your mind, and the first thought is, I should post that. And so you post. And then you may be reading something, or something happened, and even in your family circle, come on now, and you're like, you know what? I should post this. And so everything is exposed in the marketplace. They were not afraid to expose themselves to the stare of public. And that's the kind of culture, that's the kind of generation we live in. And I really believe that this is applicable to us. Do you see it? Or am I the only one? In the marketplace. And notice what else they do. They play the flute. In other words, they not only expose themselves in terms of being in that place, meaning their presence, but they also expose their gifts and their talents. I play the flute for you. But notice that when they play the flute, they require a certain reaction to the flute. You ought to dance. You know? Hey, why are you not dancing? Jesus is describing this generation. In other words, every single person needs to dance to the music of this generation. And if you don't, you will be dismissed. Does God dance to our music? To our sad and ugly tunes? We think we are gifted until we approach Jesus. And he says to us, you know, that's, uh, ah, no, that's not going to cut it. Buy of me gold tried in the fire. And so we bring what we think is our best. And we say, God, you need to move to this beat. This is how you need to react or respond to tragedy. This is how you need to react or respond to the joyful moments in my life. And when he doesn't, we are disappointed and we walk away. Because we say, God will not dance to the sound of my music. And not only God, but all of our relationships too fall in this category. 
When someone else chooses not to dance to our music, we say, well, we were friends at one point. <laughs> Until you decided to go the other way. And then no longer are we. Yes, I may sound a little bit critical, but here's the hopeful part. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, verse 2, and we can't always describe based on the actions of people what's going on on the inside. And I'm very, very happy that Jesus exposes this, this passage of Scripture as we talk about generational games, because these are the games we play the music, we want people to dance to it. When they don't, we get disappointed, we get unhappy. We function based on the likes we get when we post a picture. We function based on the comments we get. And if someone says something bad, and it's not only you, this happened to me not too long ago. I remember during the pandemic when I was doing the devotional videos, I remember posting a video and someone said something. I forgot exactly the wording of it. I forgot exactly what they said, but it was really, really mean. Did you know I was actually depressed? I'm, I'm trying my hardest to get something out there and the best you could do. At least if you don't have any good thing to say, don't say anything. I'll be okay. I could do without your comment. But I was depressed. I was down. And then I was up when there were, you know, number of likes. <laughs> Is it only me? And I was like, I was so down, and then someone else came and liked the video. I was like, yes, you go ahead. <laughs> That's the generation we live in. We function based on how people react to us. And this is a dangerous place to be because, again, God will not be subverted by our opinions. He will not function based on the music we play. We can't force him into a box. And so we play the music. So in the happy moments of our lives, we play the flute, you know, expecting others to dance. And then, <laughs> Jesus says this, we mourned for you and you did not weep. How many, I won't ask you to raise your hand, had a moment where you were going through something that is really deep and intense, and you really hoped for some compassion and for some understanding and for someone to tap you on the shoulder and say, it's okay. You expect them to weep and cry with you, and they didn't. Do you remember how you felt when that happened? Sometimes, and you'll see this too in Scripture. There are multiple times when, and I'll give you an example. For example, the children of Israel were to cross the Red Sea, and the people came and they were complaining to Moses. Can you imagine if Moses wanted likes? <laughs> How his mission and ministry would be. And he comes to God after they're complaining right at the border of the Red Sea. And Moses goes to God and he's praying and he's pleading. And the Lord says, why are you praying? Go forward. Sometimes you expect God to sympathize. But he simply says, get up and move. And so, friends, this generation is driving us into this area of unhealthy, I'm going to call it unhealthy empathy. Where we expect people not only to dance to our music, but also to mourn when we're mourning. And I tell you, there are some times when I cry for the wrong reason. You know, you think all is bad. And then you talk to a good friend of yours, and you say, actually, no, it was your fault. Wink, wink. I'm here to support you and help you through it, but really, you made a bad decision there. We're still friends. I love you, but man, that just, yeah, you know. 
And in those moments, you see a revelation of true friendship. Because what we lack really is honesty. And Jesus is that. So Jesus says, this generation, you played the flute, you did not dance. And then he just says this at the end. But wisdom is justified by all her children. When you analyze the work of God, we are in Proverbs 21, verse 12. When you analyze the work of God with God's wisdom, you come to his conclusions and not your own. And so we are a generation that, yes, we're playing the flute. Yes, we're mourning our tragedies. But yet, what we ultimately should seek is not attention, but wisdom. Because when life comes hard at us, and yesterday may be a great day, and nothing might be going wrong in your life, but tomorrow it might. Have you ever realized that in the book of James, when he talks about trial, the number one thing he says to ask for is wisdom. Don't ask to get out of it. Don't ask for, and sympathy is okay. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's good to sympathize. But ultimately, what God wants us to seek is wisdom. Because then we can truly discern what God is doing in this generation. So I'm no longer hopeless. And I praise God for today. And I praise God for Ty's example. Because Ty and Micah, they both represent the future. And God is doing something special. So no longer will I ever say, and if I do, hold me to it. I, Jens, are hopeless. I will no longer say that. Neither will I say that millennials are hopeless. Neither will I say that baby boomers always want to counsel people. What I instead will say is that God can do something special in every generation. No matter how terrible, no matter how bad, no matter how horrible, Yes, we might be a generation driven by media and whatever, but at the same time, I truly believe that God can do something special. What if Jesus came in our lifetime? He is coming soon. Break the clouds and come right through and call his children home. In the end, you know who's going to be playing the music? I read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a trumpet. Ultimately, he plays the music. So my prayer for you is that God may play the music in your life. That you stop trying to play that song. Let him play for you. Let him lead you. And this is a generation that needs more than anything else to surrender to God. And that will be the day when God will do something special in this generation. Today, as I stand before you, I want to surrender my life again to the Lord. I want to invite you to stand if you would like to also make that decision. And I really believe, and I believe this from the bottom of my heart, that Jesus can do something special with you. And if it means giving up some things, stepping away from media, social media especially, do it.
because God needs your attention and it's being taken away by so many things. I am off social media right now. And I tell you, I've never had so much peace in my life like I do now. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray in a very special way that you be with our generation. There are so many things to consider, so many things to talk about. But Lord, everything pales in comparison to talking about you. You are such an amazing God. And even in a generation like what we've seen in Scripture, you were able to work in a marvelous way by showing up and overthrowing expectations. We pray that you do that for us. We pray that you change our hearts and change our lives and make us more like you. So that in this generation, even if it means we go countercultural, that we may do so as we follow the way you're walking. Even if it means that we're titled, called mad men and mad women, let it be that we're following your will. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to Jermaine Gale, pastor of the East Lansing University and Lansing Spanish Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit one of his churches this coming Sabbath or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. You will find the East Lansing University Church at 504 Ann Street in East Lansing, Michigan, and their church service begins at 11.20 a.m. Or visit the Lansing Spanish Church located at 111 North Magnolia Avenue in Lansing, Michigan, and their church service begins at 11.30 a.m. This program is a Strong Tower Radio production.